0: Uh, Some years ago, I heard a pastor that was here saying the Old Testament wasn't really important that we read it. Uh, Everything we need to know is in the New Testament. To some degree, it's right. But the bottom line of it is, if you don't know where you came from, how do you know where you're going to go? And I found something that, dear to my heart for many years, dealing with Abraham, and I finally kind of penetrated here, that for 4,000 years... Nothing has changed. Everything is the same. Everything exactly is the same. So as I, uh, I asked him to put this up to a, because I want you to take in mind there's going to be a lot to be covered, and I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but I expect you to. And what does this say? The Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great. Eagerness, and what did they do? Examine the scripture. This is my homework to you. Examine the scripture. And if I'm not telling the truth, I want to hear from you, telling me what I said wrong. So here's a challenge. And maybe some of you have been looking for an opportunity for this. I don't know. (laughs) So, Father in heaven, I thank you and praise you as we gather together in your name to hear your word. And then, Lord, through your word to be blessed. And as we are blessed, Lord Jesus, let your name be glorified. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Tim, who do you trust? Well, we know we trust in Jesus. And so did Abraham. But uh, along the way, as we're going to get into it, we'll see how far that went and how far we go. I want you to make the comparisons as we go along and see yourself. Four thousand years ago, back up into 19 or 2019, that nothing has changed. So, would you put up the scriptures there, Tim? Okay, this is like unscrambling an egg here. So, I'm going to help you out. It says now, Terah became the father of Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. And while his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans, in the land of his birth. Abraham and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran. Obviously, one brother married a sister. The father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarah was barren. She had no children. If you look over in uh, the 20th chapter of Genesis, verse 12, you'll find that Sarah was actually a half-sister to Abram by another wife. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarah, the wife of his son, Abram, and together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Now I did a little studying of Ur of the Chaldeans. It was the most horrific place. Idol worship, in fact, quite honestly, uh, Abram and all of his family were idol worshipers. They were all pagans at this point. So when you're looking at it, this is where we came from, too. For 34 years, I was a pagan. And how did it come about that I'm saved? Well, we're going to get into that. But nevertheless, error was a terrible, despicable place. Not like our world today. (laughs) Has anything changed? I had I had they had child. I think they had child sacrifice with the Chaldeans, but one way or another, if we're not training our children, we sacrifice them too. That's another story. So at any rate, Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, and they went off from Ur to to uh, and where they settled there. Now this is a story of us, somehow or another. God moves on our heart, and we know we're not doing something right. And quite honestly, we want to change. But I found out there's no change without the Holy Spirit. But nevertheless, I thought I could change. So I moved out of Ur. But I didn't go any further than Hainan. Hainan I kind of look at as a religion. You plop off at a religion, and you feel pretty safe in there because of all the things that are, well, everyone says Uh, this is what you're supposed to do. So I stopped off at a religion, and apparently so did uh, Tara. Now, Tara died in Hanan, and Nahor stayed back in Ur. And by the way, Nahor is also the grandfather of Laban, who Jacob's going to run into later on. Another story altogether, but I want to get the uh, genealogy straight here. So Nahor stayed as a pagan worshiper and an idol worshiper, and you can follow through scripture and find that out too. Uh, if you know the story of Jacob and uh, Rachel, they escaped from Laban, and what did they take? What did Rachel take with her? Household idols. See, Nahor never changed. And quite honestly, uh, Isaac, well, Isaac never wanted his son to go there. But nevertheless, he did, and he wound up in trouble. But that's another another story. So we got this point here, where we were in Er. This is called Delmar, New York, 2019. Er. Nothing's changed. In fact, quite honestly, it's just every bit as bad as it was in those days. Except you don't set your children on fire. So we got that point settled of who's who and all the players in this uh, life walk. Now, I have to look at myself. I kind of rested in Haran for a while. And then, uh, Tim, if you would put the next scripture up Chosen by God. How do you know you were chosen by God? Why did He chose you to begin with? And I always go back to this story, well, why did he choose Abraham? Abraham was an idol worshiper. He was with his whole family. They, they bowed down to all these different idols, whatever they were. The fact, that one, uh, the one idol was Nana. A word we use for our grandmothers, but it was a horrible god. <laughs> and it was the, the chief god of the Chaldeans, Nana. And they worshipped Nana with child sacrifice and whatever else they needed to do. So as a result of that, how did I go from worshiping idols and to be a born-again Christian? Well, the same question goes to Abraham. Why in the world did he pick Abraham, an idol worshiper, to be the father of all of us born-again Christians? God's God, and we're, we're us. He chooses who he wants. He's the potter, and we're the clay, and he makes us any way he wants to make us. When we do it logically, this is hard to accept when you figure out the God that spoke the universe into existence with a word, can do just about anything he wants to do, anytime he wants to do it. And he chose Abram to be the father of all the nations. So when we get up to the point of who we are, it says the Lord has said to Abram, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. And here comes the promise, the covenant that is still true today. I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great and you will be a blessing and I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse and all the peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. That still holds true today. That's why although Israel may not be or even look like God's promised land, (laughs) same thing with you, you don't look like God's promised child sometimes either. But the bottom line of it is, you, you've been chosen by God. Abram was chosen by God. So we got the second part out of the way, chosen by God. Now we got the next part, moving out. This is expected when you're born again, moving out. Put the scripture up, Tim. So Abram left, and the Lord, had told, where the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Here's the problem to begin with. <laughs> he took Lot, and I'm not going to get into Lot. This is baggage you shouldn't have taken into there, and it was nothing but a headache to Abram from all through Genesis. And and Lot was always depending on his father or his uncle Abram, but he shouldn't have taken him along. Didn't God say to leave your country and your family behind? He did. So Abram left as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him, and Abram was 79, 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, the nephew Lot, and all the possessions he had accumulated, and the people that he acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. At least he's doing what he's right. He's getting out of the idol-worshiping countries and going into a place where he could be free to worship God, and he did. <clears throat> the next several verses, uh, Tim, you can put that up there, But quite honestly, it all comes down to two different things. Every time he moved, he built an altar to God. He worshipped God. Uh, It says in uh, verse 7, the Lord... There's another thing, too. It says, the Lord appeared to Abram. Do you think God actually appeared to him? It's called the theophany. The actual presence of God. And what form and how he did that, I don't know. But then he repeats it. or, Or repeats it. So he built an altar there to the Lord who had appeared to him. And then he continued on further on, and he built another altar. Apparently, being born again is a wonderful thing. Being chosen by God is a most wonderful thing. Nothing can go wrong from here on out. Uh, now we get into verse 10. And here is where you're going to have to do your homework, because I'm going to kind of elaborate on a lot of scriptures here. It's called Life Gets in the Way. Life gets in the way of many of us. It got in the way of Abram right off the bat. Things going smoothly. He's worshiping God. He's building altars. He's having a great time going forth in God, knowing the presence of God in his life, possibly even seeing the presence of God, as Scripture relates to. But there was a famine in the land. Now, what are we going to do about the famine? I got an idea. I'm going to go down to Egypt. I hear they got pretty good pictures. Now, how would he know that to begin with? We have a newspaper going on in those days. It's called the Caravans. Caravans were going back and forth, and they carried the news of who was great and who was poor and who was success and all these different things. And he found out, I can only assume this, but how did he know? Probably through this way, that in Egypt there was food. There was one thing missing here. He didn't inquire of God if he should go. He never asked. Now we get into our problems. (laughs) Life gets tough, especially when we don't ask God what we should be doing and then go about exactly how we should go about it. What happened when he went into Egypt? Well, right off the bat, he finds out that Pharaoh might take a liking to his wife, so he makes her agree to say that she's my sister, he's half right. So he's only a half a lie, which is okay, right? Half a lie is better than a whole lie. And he makes his wife say this. Can you imagine me saying to my wife, Marsha, listen, uh, we're going to go to a store here, and people, uh, I want you to say that you're my sister instead of my wife, okay? Uh, If she had a purse, first of all, she slammed me in the head with it. And, and then, I don't know how things would go for the rest of the week, two or, or month, whatever the case may be. It wouldn't be well. So he starts right off uh, making a concession. And then he lies to Pharaoh. So now he's uh, set deceitful with his wife. He's a liar to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh finds out, here's a part I never could get in my mind because He's rewarded. I never could figure out how he could be rewarded. Pharaoh gives him cattle and everything else and lets him take it all out of there. Be sure your sin will find you out. It may not happen today. It may not happen tomorrow. And it didn't for Abram. But it happened. Because in Egypt, he also took, besides the cattle and everything else, he took one other thing. He took Hagar, an Egyptian slave. And here comes the problems. So, coming out of there, he seemed to be doing well. Uh, and I think all of us could feel the same We've decided to go about our own business and how we would do this. And it seemed to work out for a time. Things do work out for a time. Whatever the case may be, whatever you're into, whatever you've done that didn't uh, uh, include God into it, it seemed to work out okay. And it seemed the same thing to Abram. But see, now there's a promise that came to Abram that he would have a child out of his own loins. And he's 76 years old, and 10 years have gone by, and now he's 86 and no child and no promise. And how are all these promises that God said he would do come about? Bingo. Sarah's got an idea. Why don't you take my servant, my maidservant, Hagar, and have a child through her, and I'll claim her as mine, and that would fulfill God's promise. Have you ever try to work out God's promise and God's word? and, and See, reasonably, it sounded okay. <clears throat> uh, it seemed perfectly sensible. Uh, logically, I'm 86 years old, and things aren't getting any better, and Sarah is 79 or so. Uh, come on, let's face it. Okay, this sounds like a good plan. Let's have a child by Hagar. And Hagar has a child called Ishmael. And Ishmael was 13 years old before God came to Abraham again. He didn't hear from God for 13 years. In one sentence, it jumps from the end of chapter 16 to 17, I think it is, where Abraham was 86, the next he's 99. Now God comes to him again and tells him he's going to have this child. What about Isaac? Or what about, yeah, what about um, <clears throat> Ishmael? Can't he? Here's another problem. Be careful what you wish for. Be careful because Abram pleaded with God, can't you take Ishmael and do something with him? And God agreed to do that. And Ishmael was made a great warrior chieftain. Uh, there's a problem with that. Talk about having, be serious, sin will find you out. Who is Ishmael today? All the Arab nations that hate Israel and hate us. It says in Scripture, right off the bat, that Ishmael would be a wild donkey, a wild ass of a man, and his hand would be against everyone, and and against everyone else would be against him. Then it goes over a little bit further, I think, in chapter 22, where it says all the Arab nations, they couldn't get along. All their hands were against each other. But now we bring this up to date. And what's our worst problem? The Muslim nations, pretty much so. And where did they come from? Hagar. And where did Hagar come from? Egypt. And what was he doing in Egypt? See, <laughs> it's a simple matter of deduction. You keep reducing it to the most level point, and you find out, gee, I shouldn't have done this. Now, I don't know if you have a Hagar in your life, and I don't know if you've done anything that has brought uh, repercussions because of the past. But any time we walk away from God's word, there's always a repercussion. How strong it might be, it's depending how far you walk. But there's always, you cannot walk in the world and not have repercussions when you walk away from God. So we find out, not only did he mess up in Egypt, there was Abimelech, another king, he did the same, twice he did the same thing to his, his wife, Sarai. And again, he's rewarded. <laughs> and see, it? that was the part, I never could figure that out until finally it dawned on me that Hagar was his nemesis. That was going to be the thing that was going to tear him down. So here you've got Hagar, here you've got Abraham, you got all the players in line now, and the next thing of it is, uh, how do we avoid running into these things? How can we avoid this? How can we avoid the trap of depending and relying on ourselves? Well, Tim, can you put up Proverbs 3, 5, and 7? Simple scripture, you all probably know it by heart for the most part. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. Well, here's the answer. Trust in the Lord. See, I can trust in the Lord for you. I have no problem trusting in the Lord for you. I'm completely assured that God will meet the prayers I pray for you until it comes to me. Now I have to trust God for me. Hmm. Well, that's another story. How strong is my faith now? Is it as strong as I pray for you? No, it's not. Quite honestly, there's a scripture that says, Lord, I do believe, but trust my unbelief. Help me in my unbelief. We have a certain amount of unbelief when it comes down to us or our own family. But pray for others, no problem at all. Well, what is the difference? Is it the same God? It's the same prayer. Isn't he the same yesterday, today, and forever? Will he not answer your prayer for those, and will he not answer your prayer for you? Why is it I have such a hard time trusting God? Apparently there's something in me that still wants to be in control. And the same thing applied to Abram. He's no different. That's why he's such a good example. Let's face it. If I just told you this whole story, your response would be, gee, this guy's a reprobate. (laughs) We kind of fall into that category at one time or another. But God didn't leave us there. He didn't leave us in the muck and the mire. He pulled us out. As long as we started doing the right thing. And Abram did. We find out as the whole story goes on to the part where he had Isaac. And then God told him. And he said, Abraham. Now, Abram didn't uh, think twice when he called him. You know Abram's response when God calls Yes, Lord. Here, Lord. That should be our response. Just take your son, your only son, by the way, the only son that the promise will come through, and take him over to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. Now it comes game time. Who do I trust? Will he actually want me to sacrifice him? Now you've got to remember where he came from. He came from Ur, where sacrifice for children was not an uncommon thing. It was not common with God. But sometimes we fall back into our own thinking when it becomes, how are we going to work this out? Well, I remember how I used to work it out. I used to cheat on my taxes, and that worked, or, or something like that. So it wasn't strange that God would say that. It was just strange that it came from God. Well, he took Isaac, and the long and short of it was God knew exactly which way Abraham was, going to, Abraham was going to turn, but He wanted Abraham to know that He loved God more than His own son, His only son, Isaac, and He's ready to sacrifice Him until the angel stops Him. The angel of the Lord hold back, and He provided the sacrifice. This is the story of you and me, and how we get along with God. It takes some time. It takes some doing. It takes some work. But God is always moving us forward. When we stop moving forward, there is a danger. There is no plateau. A plateau has got a slight slant to the rear. And incrementally, you keep sliding back and back until finally you were worse off than you were in the beginning. So we find out that here he comes and says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean on your understanding. He leaned on his understanding in the early days. We've leaned on our own understanding in different times. And God is saying, don't do this. There's going to be repercussions. and I'm going to be with you. Does that mean you're going to not be saved? No, that's not the question at all. Does it mean there's going to be a problem? That's the question. How big is the problem going to be? How far have I walked away from the Lord? So we wind up with various scriptures here that tells us, and Tim, could you start off with that? Thank God for his grace. I can't read that word there. He guides the humble in what is right and teaches them his way. Uh, Of course, the humble have to be prepared to receive the way. What is humility to begin with? It's completely not trusting yourself and completely trusting God. See, a person that isn't humble is a glass full of water, and you can't get any more grace into it. You can't get one more drop into a complete full of glass, of water. It'll overflow. But a half empty or a completely empty one is plenty capable of taking all of God's grace. And that's what it's talking about. It instructs and teaches you the way you should go. And counsels you and watches over you. This is what God does for us. Here's how we can get out of these traps and all of this uh, worldly problem. The world is a problem. The world always wants us to go its way, and it has logic to back it up, worldly logic. There's always logic. Could God have created the world in days? I don't think so. We've got proof it took 5 billion years to make this world. Uh, who are you going to believe? Think I can make the world in Seven days, six days, really. Or the scientists that have agreed that it take five billion years. See, logic says, believe them. God's word says, believe me. Which way will you go? And when you go the wrong way, there's repercussions. And finally, in First John, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. And will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And that's exactly what happened to Abram. He built altar upon altar. He became stronger and stronger in the faith. And finally, he found out the only thing he really wanted, more than anything, more than his wife, more than his son, more than life itself, he wanted God. That's what God is trying to show us. Do you want Jesus more than that? We're going to have communion in a couple of minutes. And the whole idea of communion is, who do you want? Who do you trust? And as we take communion, as we'll talk about it in a minute or two, you'll find out that God has some important things to talk to you about. I know some of you feel perfectly content. Content in God. Some of you are kind of wavering a little bit. And some of you have never even accepted Jesus. In fact, some of you may still be back in error. But i got words that I can show you through God's word that can help you break that bond. So I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the opportunity that we've had to talk about life's history 4,000 years ago that hasn't much changed in those years. We still fall victim, whatever the case may be, to the same trials and tribulations, and then try to work out logic when the only truth is you. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, says the Lord. No one can come to the Father through me. If you don't have that truth, you can't have life. Simple as that. That's what we're going to share in communion this morning. So prepare your heart as we get set to have communion. And God bless you.